0: Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Seen From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are at AJGJogger and at map underscore Andrew on Twitter. Your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes on Twitter using our new dedicated podcast account at or using the hashtag seen from above. Please do follow our Twitter account and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps new listeners find us.
1: Let's just quickly do my usual reflection on how many things are launched. Last time 192 things. Now 205. Last year the world record 379.
0: Ooh, I don't think we're gonna make that. No, this is
1: payload again. I know that we're due some more. Uh, launches by planet yeah it does seem a little bit down on previous years it's really difficult to forecast isn't it the scale of things growing but i still think that even at 205 that's still an astonishing number of payloads launched into orbit
0: yeah if it kept growing and growing and growing it'd get a bit busy up there yeah let's skip our general talk on
1: space junk again <laughs> <laughs>
0: so i think that the last can i say the date
1: oh yeah you never say the date do
0: you (laughs) um sorry okay and now the news on friday the 26th of october 2018
1: this is smooth this week um (laughs) my feeling is that it's been a bit quiet over the last three or so weeks since we last talked
0: yeah i'd agree with that so i've got a
1: few things that i've seen i know that more sentinel 5p data sets have been released which is great.
0: So, what does that mean? I think it's what I've released
1: is um, ozone, sulfur dioxide, and formaldehyde.
0: Ah, okay, okay.
1: On each day that you can get hold of, and the example that is shown on the tweet by Copernicus EU is over a volcano in Bali, showing uh, SO two from volcano, obviously sulfur dioxide. My feeling is that there'll be more interest and more commercial opportunities with Sentinel 5P uh, as we move forward into the into the coming years. Because this data set is so comprehensive and so regular. Um, and it's really, really amazing stuff.
0: It's such a rich data set with so many different variables that it's measuring and, and giving out. I was talking to someone the other day about issues of air pollution, and I don't really know whether or not the spatial resolution will be good enough to pick this up. But my impression is, having seen various data sets that have been put online, that if the data exists, then this is exactly the type of thing that individual cities will be looking at to get a broad brush monitoring approach of what they're air quality is like and then I, I presume they'll need to do some modelling to start bringing it down to finer spatial resolution.
1: Yeah I did a MOOC course last year on atmosphere. Stuff that I was saying was really turning on things in my mind. I was like oh of course and, then, and they were saying things like the correlation between the development of China for example versus the pollution that was being emitted. How these things were a proxy for economic activity and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's interesting because I think we talk quite a lot about, well, we haven't actually on, on this podcast, but generally the the industry talks quite a lot about light pollution and how that's a proxy for development and urban growth and urbanisation of the world and how that's impacted and quite striking on images. But air quality as well has quite a strong, I would have thought, correlation between this as well. So Sentinel 5P, really exciting times.
0: Okay, I just want to raise then quickly another sort of Sentinel thing. As far as I'm aware, this hasn't yet been released as an actual product, but it's such a cool idea that I I thought it was worth just putting out on the podcast as well. Basically, it's a Sentinel data finder, but the whole thing is done within Jupyter Notebooks. It's a a chap called David Demarchi who posted the tweet. It's got a little animated GIF on it that shows you upload your shapefile or your other type of polygon data, and then you can filter by cloud cover and extract multi-temporal NDVI profiles from the pixels that are underneath that polygon. So in terms of sort of the actual, what it's doing, the process of what it's doing, we already know that you can do that in, in quite a few other things. But the fact that now it's embedded into a, a, a Jupiter notebook is absolutely awesome. It just looks so cool. And everybody yeah. was going like, oh. Can we get the code? Can we, how do you do that? And uh, unfortunately, at the moment, I don't think it's it's made available outside of where he works, which is that um, JRC. JRC. Just for those who don't know, is the Joint Research Centre of the European Commission. And it's down in Ispra in Italy. Yeah, that'd be a nice place to work, would not it? It would. Hello, JRC. <laughs> but yeah, it's just absolutely the coolest thing.
1: Um. I wanted to mention in passing, actually, do you use Reddit much? I don't. Okay, so I'm not a member of Reddit, but I started to look a bit more at Reddit, and it has a super active GIS board. And I saw this week on it, remote sensing versus GIS. It was basically a conversation about, I'm looking to change career into the GIS remote sensing. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a good topic, a good thing that we could talk about as well in, in perhaps a future podcast. Mm-hmm. And as you read down, there was one comment that, Um, I don't know if the word resonated with me, but I really started thinking about it. And and they said, um, to sort of quote directly, they said, um, I don't know where you're located, but in France, a degree in remote sensing means working in academia or public research institute, very few industry jobs. And there's a reply saying, yes, that's mostly similar in the US. And it got me thinking, is this the old way of thinking? Is this how it used to be? Or is this still predominantly the case? Um, I don't necessarily know if this is news, But I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. I was just interested in it because it's almost a question of the stereotypes within the industry. And... Really, uh, just to sort of follow on, the, the comment after that, which, which was which I didn't talk about, but it basically said, I work in the industry and I do loads of cool stuff, like developing algorithms and object detection, using a lot of computer vision and all this kind of stuff. And maybe that's not coming across as much as we initially thought that it would. But there's still plenty of, sort of traditional work, consultancies and all this kind of stuff. So I, I don't think that it limits you to academia. Um, yeah, so basically the news is I've started looking at Reddit. <laughs> so the, the other thing i wanted to mention was brass
0: yes yeah this is a biggie i thought is
1: probably the, the the biggest news of the month yeah i've only really sort of read the article so i haven't had a chance to touch it i know that there's a plugin for qjs i know there's a lot of stuff i know they've opened it up i'm not going to be able to do it justice but it looks amazing
0: just reading around the subject and looking at the types of things that it can do. And I, I've watched a couple of um, YouTube videos about vision and what it can do and sort of some of the technology behind it. And yeah, it looks so powerful and just I don't know, just the fact that these companies like Xavier are opening up this type of technology is really, really good. Yeah, I
1: feel now we're we're almost getting to the point of saying this is the thing this month. If there's one thing to look at, it's this. And this month, it's this.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll put a a link to a, a blog post in the show notes, but certainly read that and start having a hunt around some of the the videos online because it is very, very cool. I have to say
1: that I think I'd be even more enthusiastic if I'd found time to start playing with it.
0: So I feel like here we are, we've done a big up for one of the American companies. So we should now do the same for one of the European companies. And I came across something today. And I, I, again, I don't know whether this is news news or whether this is just new to me type news, but I came across the education page on the sentinelhub.com. And this is brilliant. This is one heck of a resource. But there's all sorts of links in there to to different remote sensing indices and explains how they're calculated and things like that. And there's links to pages that explain some of the data that you can get. And somewhere I saw as well that there's a Jupyter notebook where you can start to look at wildfires and things like that. And it's just it's really nice. I mean I'm always looking for for
1: things like this because they tend to be buried away. These are the things you need to be looking at and I hope that's what we try and do here which we try and sort of throw away the noise and, and try and say hey this is this is a great place if you if you just wanted to get going.
0: That's a good link. So in terms of getting going as well there's something else that's been put out by the European Space Agency, that is primarily for students and the European Space Agency wants university students to participate in the concurrent engineering workshop which is dedicated to CubeSats. It's a four-day workshop that's being held in January 2019 in Belgium so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well so yeah check that out.
1: A very quick aside I don't know if it's a new thing or not but it's very UK focused but Basque uh, BARSC, British Association of Remote Sensing Companies, they have a page called Industry Connections. And uh, in light of what you've just said, if you're just about starting off, this has all of the um, places to look. That's yeah, a nice little page for links and stuff if you're just getting started. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's new, but I saw it the other day and I thought, oh, that's that's, an, you know, it's really neatly put together.
0: Yeah. Okay, shall we move on and talk about our topic for this this podcast? So we're always, it seems to me, talking about Sentinel's One, two, and possibly a bit more, about five these days. So uh, what I wanted to do is try and get a rough idea of the breadth of sensors that are out there. Obviously, this is not going to be a complete or a fully inclusive list by any stretch of the imagination. But really, I I think for the next part of the podcast, I think we should have a chat about some of the EO systems um, that we've used or that we would like to use or that we just think are quite cool. Yep. I just want to put a quick word of warning out. We're probably going to be swapping between satellite names and sensor names quite a lot, just because it's easier. So just take it as red, really, that we mean EO data source, and it could be a satellite name or it could be a sensor name that we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, and the, the other thing is that this is only going to be satellite-based um, for this discussion. So there's not going to be any talk about drones or aircraft, I don't think, unless it goes off at a weird tangent. <laughs> I love how you set the boundaries, it's great. Guys, guys, gather around. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we're not
1: going to talk about. This is what we are going to talk about. Any deviation, I'm going to cut it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, first off, I think we should have a quick chat about the Sentinels. Sentinel 2, the obvious go-to data set at the moment, I think. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's
1: actually a really good way of starting it, because... You know, I could say to you, what do you mean by that? If if you were a beginner. So this is Sentinel-2, A and B. There's two of them. Optical sensor, capturing at what, 10 meters, 20 meters and 60 meters over the various spectral ranges. And it's freely available from the Sci-Hop. And it's been up there for three years, 2A, I, I think.
0: Something like that. Definitely long enough that people outside of the industry are getting to notice it and they know that it's freely available. but I've started having conversations where I think that I have to explain what Sentinel 2 data is and people go like, oh no 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 you, you can stop there we've We've had a look online we, we know that data exists and they might not know how to process it or how to download it or all of that, but they they know it exists and that they can use it without any cost.
1: It's gone through a few changes. In in the time it's been up, I'm talking about the data access. So initially, it just came in big strips, didn't it? Granules, I think they're called, sort of swaths, and then they they tiled them down into these individual tiles, which is familiar if you're using the Landsat data. And now they're delivering products not just in Level One C, but also Level Two A. That might be a bit meaningless, perhaps. Do you want to? Say what those two things are.
0: Well, So effectively what they're doing is they're releasing a minimally processed product. So uh, that's what the level 1c is. You can see in the image what you're getting. It might not be perfectly registered and all sorts of other things. But you can sort of generally download it and slap it into yeah. a GIS and it, it comes up roughly in the right place. And it looks roughly like it should do. And it's a pretty good starting data set because if you know what you're doing, you can process it up however you want. But even if you're not into processing, you can still use it to see the things you want if you're just trying to do a visual inspection. Yep. And then a 2A is more, it's got an atmospheric correction applied to it. So it's really ready to go. It's what we call analysis ready data.
1: So I'm, I'm generally looking for level 2A when I'm downloading to save me time.
0: Yes, I, I've moved to trying to do that as well.
1: Okay, but I don't think it's worldwide yet. Have you noticed any delay or any difference? In-
0: Certainly not available for large parts of South America because I was looking the other day for that.
1: Okay, so that's Sentinel-2. Sentinel-1, will reverse count. There's no order in this, <laughs> is there? Sentinel-1 <laughs> been up for the longest of all Sentinels. It's yep. up again in a pair, A and B. This is radar data, so not impacted by clouds. You have to do a lot of pre-processing.
0: Yeah, I've not really worked with this as much as I thought I would have done. Because again, when this came out, there was quite a lot of noise and people were going, oh, you you can see through cloud and you can image at night and all of this sort of thing. But again, I know that the Sentinel-1 data is being used in large amounts and is being used very intelligently.
1: Yeah, I think it's significantly more used and sentinel one and Sentinel two are being used together
0: yes that's the nice thing the data fusion that sort of thing
1: so land cover mapping where you've got clouds or you know when you just haven't got coverage sentinel one really helps yeah. there so i think there's lots of businesses being put in around that i often describe it as heavy data mainly because it's large to download because it covers a big area yeah and you've got to do the processing on it. it tends to be more involved um, I've used it in Snap as I have used Sentinel Two, because I can step through the, the workflows. I'm not a big user of it, but I'm super excited by it. I think I think mm. it's got lots of potential, and it's almost made for the cloud.
0: So I just wanted to move on to uh, Sentinel Five, and haven't you done a tutorial on this, Andrew?
1: Sentinel Five P, yep. So that's great stuff. We've talked about it a lot in our podcast. I so do want to go over it but yep it's a net cdf format i wrote a python based tutorial to access it in the jupyter notebook primarily because i couldn't at the time drag it straight into QGIS. so i wanted to inspect the data every net cdf has its own
0: quirks it seems but
1: (laughs) yeah once you get into it once you understand what you're looking for it's not overly complex i don't think
0: so is it supplied as effectively as analysis ready data for each of the different components of the air column that it's it's measuring because that's what it sounds like when we've talked about it is that you there's no subsequent processing required if you want to look at sulfur dioxide or NOx or whatever it is you just load that layer up and it gives you that in whatever value it is that it's recorded in
1: yeah so I mean this is my answer this is basically the same as if we were talking about Sentinel 3 which is I'm not an atmospheric scientist so i the i don't know is the answer right okay but okay. i think yes it's ready to go <laughs> okay <laughs> my dealings with it as game with sentinel 3 have all been about this is cool I, I want to look
0: at it more as you've mentioned sentinel 3 a couple of times there do you just want to quickly tell the listeners what sentinel 3 data is yep so sentinel 3
1: It's actually flying in tandem at the moment. It's slowly pulling away. So there's two of them, again, up in pairs. And it is all about measuring oceans and land surfaces. And it's got quite a few different sensors on it. And it's at a much wider area. So you can look at larger scale patterns. And there's a really excellent, um, we talked about it again on the podcast, viewer, s3view.oceanlab, oceandatalab, sorry, dot So I, I think there's, several different instruments all measuring different things. Again, this is another one where I don't think there's much going on in the commercial sector, although I'd love to be corrected, but it's a super cool sensor and some of the uh, images getting back are really, really nice.
0: If you were interested in regional or like you say, sort of, continental global level mapping and monitoring, then this would be a really good place to start looking for that that type of information. Yeah. Okay. So um, again, we've already mentioned Landsat in passing in our discussion of the, the Sentinels, but this for me is really the one that kickstarted the whole open data revolution, really, in terms of, of remote sensing. But it's great to see that Landsat is still going strong. But I don't know if the way I feel that things are going, it's beginning to get a little bit forgotten maybe in Europe because the Sentinels and the Copernicus program is so strong in terms of the way it's being marketed and pushed that a lot of people outside of the industry seem to know about Sentinel data, but they don't seem to be mentioning Landsat data. But once it became freely available, it was brilliant. It's such a great resource and it continues to be that. And we know that Landsat 9 is in the pipeline. So hopefully that will continue into the future as well.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that, that I see Sentinel being more popular than Landsat. Okay. One of the reasons why Sentinel-2 isn't being used as much as Landsat, I think, although perhaps you feel the other way around, is that Landsat is freely available from AWS, whereas Sentinel-2 is request-to-pays.
0: Yeah, although for good reason. Landsat
1: and Sentinel, they are undergoing yes. harmonization. Yeah. There's going to be a kind of time where you just download optical, multispectral data. You become sensor agnostic. The aim here is not to say... Just use Sentinel or just use Landsat, it's to say they both do
0: amazing things. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about these other sensors then.
0: In the past, I've used an optical sensor called Spot, which personally, I don't come across very many mentions of that these days. At the same time, roughly, um, I was also using another optical system called Iconos or Iconos. And just to sort of finish this sort of high-resolution optical sensor, Pleiades which I think it's how you say it, is another satellite system. It's really, really nice data to use. All three of those are quite useful for detailed habitat mapping projects, at least that's where I've always come across them. But I don't really see them being spoken about and being used as much as they were.
1: I've often in the past tried to persuade people to consider Spot 6-7. Okay. It's got a 1.5-metre resolution, uh bigger area, and the data is good and I haven't been very successful in doing so and I think it's a really underused sensor
0: I would agree and I
1: don't know I don't know what it is I've often had conversations with people about what the value is how much is a 0.3-metre pixel versus a 1-metre pixel versus a 2-metre <laughs> pixel versus a 3-metre a, a pixel? That graph is interesting, and it's not just in optical data. It's also in elevation data, for example, as well. I'm interested in that. I like spot 6 and 7. I have used the, the older uh, spot sensors. Iconus, that's decommissioned now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that was at 1-metre.
0: It was some very nice... Data that it used to put out.
1: GBDX Notebooks has made items data freely available.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Oh, that's really good.
1: You can go and get that. And what else do you say? Pleiades or pleiads I'm never mm-hmm. quite sure how to pronounce that. That's resampled data, mm-hmm. isn't it? I think it's acquired at 0.7 and resampled to 0.5. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I've used in my working life every single sensor from one meter down. So I've got experience of using all of them, including QuickBird. Worldview 1, 2, 3, and 4. So I'm quite familiar with this world. I always found coverage of LIDI is very good. The Worldview satellites are the creme de la creme.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: This is the stuff, and it's the most expensive stuff. But there are plenty of other satellites up there.
0: In the past, a lot of conversations with clients have been around okay, well, we can look for this type of satellite or that. Type of sensor, but I think now we and the client know that the the world is effectively covered multiple times by all sorts of different satellites and sensors. And really, we, as specialists in the area, should just get whatever data sets are available uh, that fit the method of answering the problem that we've been asked to try and look at. We're sort of so lucky to have all these data sources there from different satellites.
1: I think quite often we get European or America centric, but there are the real change in in the industry, especially with high resolution sensors that we've been talking about. I mean, obviously there's other cubesats like the Planet, the Dove's RapidEye that we haven't even talked about, which are you know at the kind of two, three, five meter pixel resolution. Yeah, but there are other satellites available, so I'll try and mention some some of them. So the, there's the Space View, uh, SuperView One, Galfan One and Two,
0: and that's Chinese,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. There's uh, TripleSat. So that's a a four-band 80 centimetre. Uh, There's ComSat 2, 3, and 3A. So progressively getting uh, higher resolution. So all the way to 40 centimetres. I want to say, shall I go on? There's loads. There's also SkySat as well. I've forgotten SkySat with with the videos. And FI's got a sensor doing video. I feel we're going to miss one or two or (laughs) seven or eight. But the choice is unbelievable now.
0: Yeah, exactly, and, and the, the range of countries that they come from is also becoming more diversified as well because you've got uh, satellites like CBERS from Brazil and SAOCOM from Argentina. The Indian Space Agency has a whole raft of them, so you've got IRS data, uh, CARTOSAT, RISAT as well. Yeah. And then JAXA in Japan have a whole raft of them, and then you know the, there's other ones um, that are linked to the disaster monitoring constellation such as Nigeria sat and u k d m c uh deimos one and all you know there's there's a there's an absolute ton of them up there yeah,
1: and all of the radar satellites
0: as well so actually yeah, we ought to give a a quick shout out to some of those, and I know this is quickly becoming a, a big list, but um maybe some of the, the commercial SAR players so we've got TandemX and TerrasarX, um radar sat, which is canadian owned and has been you know that again is an absolute workhorse, creating some amazing data. Yeah, and Cosmos SkyMed as well.
1: I mean, I consider myself quite lucky in the sense that I think that I've touched and used 90% of those sensors. That's why I think I get slightly drawn to the Sentinel 5s and 3s because I've never used them in commercial products, but pretty much all the other ones I have.
0: It's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? It shows a, a, almost a difference between you and me in terms of the spatial resolution. So you've used yeah. the, the higher spatial resolution ones quite a lot. From what you're saying, you've not used the, the lower spatial resolution satellites like the AVHRR um, meteorological uh, satellites or or MODIS um, and, and that. Type yeah, of not as much. That's used yeah. for sort of more regional mapping, which is more my sort of bread and butter. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it shows that there's, there's such a breadth. The, the other things that we shouldn't forget as well is the, the weather satellites. So geostationary satellites like Meteosat and some of the other ones like Himawari and GOES they're all up there collecting data on half hourly repeats. But then there are orbiting satellites creating data from sensors like AVHRR, owned by NOAA in the US. I haven't used them for a long time, but they're still there and they're still collecting stuff. And they're so important in our day to day lives because they all get dropped into the, the circulation models that we uh, see ultimately in, in terms of the weather forecast on our TVs.
1: Yep. The supply industry, which people bought, was going to be disrupted massively still is essential in the supply chain. The GBDX notebooks, they're great. They've been engineered to make it as easy as possible.
0: And it sort of answers a question that I had in my own head as well, which was along the lines of how much point is there in some of these companies and organisations maintaining an archive for all these satellite systems. So I I, I realise that there is an intrinsic sort of intellectual worth uh, and to have a record of the Earth as well at different scales is, is useful. But when we have such a comprehensive time series and coverage through something like Landsat, and we're building up a similar type of archive with Sentinel 2, some of these other satellites as well, it's like you've got to ask yourself, well, is anyone using them? If they, if they stopped working in, say, 2005, something like that, is anyone using them still? Is anyone willing to pay for them? And maybe a way for these satellite data sets to get second life is almost a more or less minimal cost, give them over to some of these platforms like Earth Engine, like GBDX, like some of the DIAS systems that are coming on board and you know some of the online systems in the States as well that NASA are putting out. And just seeing whether or not by the the very virtue that they're there in front of people, um, whether or not they're going to be used a bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's quite a lot of information, isn't it, to digest. Uh,
0: If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then drop us a line through Twitter using at EOCNFROM. Thanks for listening. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around this podcast. That's it for now. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, hang on. Bob the cat is trying to get into my recording room. <laughs> the
1: is not an easy one to walk through. So take me
0: with you. Have to go alone. The life is growing, and you walk walking past you. If I could ask you, pick up.